Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, everybody, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It still, of course, is Victory Lane. Welcome to 2023. Welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy to have you. Hope you are all able to relax, recharge, and get away for a little bit from all the hustle and bustle that is NASCAR. It's a grind. It's 38 to 40 weeks every single year, and it's a lot to take in. So the two or three months that we all have off, we need to make the most of them. I certainly did, was able to enjoy some time away and relax with everybody. That's important to me, doing some important things as well that I'm not really able to do while the season is in full swing. But I'm glad to be back. I'm glad NASCAR's back. I feel like we have stages of the offseason, right? You got the offseason, you got the preseason, kind of when the calendar shifts from December to January after the holidays. And then after the preseason, you have the legitimate actual season. And we have that this weekend because the Bush Light Clash at the Coliseum is here. It has arrived. I am so jacked up, ready to rip rock and roll and to see cars back on track, turning competitive laps at the Coliseum. Unfortunately, not going to be out there this year for SiriusXM, but excited to be down in Daytona and excited to hopefully be wherever the clash is in 2024, whether that's LA again or if that's somewhere else. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows at this point, but excited to see the action this weekend. Also really excited for you guys to hear the chat that I had with Kevin Bellacourt as of this taping. I just wrapped up with him. He had to go on a meeting with NASCAR and actually learn about what was going to happen procedurally for the clash. So I did not want him to be late for that. But we had a really nice chat. Uh, known Kevin for several years. Uh, he has a new driver this season in the form of Ty Dillon. And that comes after a year when he had four, five, six drivers in the 77 car for Spire Motorsports. I thought that it would be a challenge to try to manage all those different things happening behind the wheel. But he actually said the opposite, that it was fun and that it was good. He's going to explain why in this chat. Also got into how he and Ty Dillon are meshing so far and why a trip to Seattle for a Panthers game actually was very, very important. And it actually worked because the Panthers won. Spoiler alert. Um, Kevin's from Daytona Beach. He is born and bred a Floridian. He is not one of those crazy Florida men. Actually, he yeah, he's probably listening. He kind of is a crazy Florida man. Uh, talks to us about his roots there why he got into racing, being a first-generation Bellacourt to go into racing. I found that story pretty interesting. And, of course, some loose sense to tie up everywhere in between. I know that we've been gone for a handful of weeks and months at this point. I apologize for not giving you too much notice, but you know what? It's the offseason. Things happen. Breaks happen. That's what we did. The structure of the show, it's not going to change too much. We're still going to have some in-depth, deep interviews with people all in the racing industry, whether it's crew chiefs, drivers, mechanics, media personalities, anywhere in between. That's what I'm planning on bringing you guys this year. 
on a weekly basis. You know, obviously circumstances withholding, but in the spirit of keeping things similar and some continuity, let's throw it over to Papa Siegel for this new and improved, although it's not really new, and sure, I, mean, I guess it's improved, way back segment, the first one of 2023. What do you got for us, Papa? Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 172. I hope everybody had an enjoyable off-season, but it's time to strap in and start those engines for 2023. The Rolex 24 didn't disappoint this year, and congrats to the Meyer Shank Sirius XM-sponsored Acura team for taking home the watches this year. Last time through the numbers, we paid tribute, of course, to Benny Parsons. He's sort of the list for number 72, so we're taking out the shovel to dig deeper for this week's honorees. First, we go outside the racing arena for an honorable mention nod. In 1972, the Miami Dolphins became the first, and to this day the only, team ever to go through an entire season undefeated. As Davey well knows, I went to every home game that season with my dad. Sure, we Dolphins fans haven't had much to celebrate since then, but at least we still have 1972. I could go on about those glory year fins, but Davey's already annoyed because this is a racing podcast. Okay, I get it. So, we look to the Xfinity Series. Tracy Leslie ran 208 junior circuit races over eight years. 140 of those came in Car 72, including one win at Indianapolis Raceway Park in 1993. If you ever get a chance to see a race at IRP, you should definitely do that. I love that place. Leslie, among other his accomplishments was the 1988 ARCA Series champion. That's all for this week. You ready to get it started, Doof? Yes, thank you for keeping it and bringing it back onto the track with an NASCAR pun intended. I was worried that when I sent him the text and I said, hey, I'll take a way back segment, bring in the pod back this week for 72, that he was going to try to get into the 72 Dolphins, but that's neither here nor there. We'll allow that for now, but we appreciate your way back segment Papa Siegel and Mama Siegel, we always appreciate you as well. All right, let's start off this episode the same way that we always do, and that is with a good old-fashioned reggaeton and throw it straight over to my interview with the aforementioned Kevin Bellacourt. Going to be his third full-time season as a crew chief in the NASCAR Cup Series. Did it in 2021, mostly with Justin Haley. Last year with the rotating cast of drivers, and this year going to be doing so with Ty Dillon. Don't want to take up too much more of your time because a chat with Kevin Bellacourt is standing in the way. Here it is, my chat with Spire Motorsports crew chief, Kevin Bellacourt. Pleasure to welcome back onto the show and to kick off 2023 right here in Victory Lane, the crew chief for the 77 car at Spire Motorsports. It is the man himself, Kev Bob, Kevin Bellacourt. How we doing, my friend? The offseason is gone and that calendar behind you. Man, it's racing season, isn't it? It is. We just had a big uh, team luncheon, and, and that's kind of the whole premise what me and Ty have been talking about. We're finally ready to go to work. We've been talking about it, making plans and, and working on things, and, and now it's time to get to go work on it. So, or go 
actually work and, and race. So uh, we're excited about that and just getting ready to get rolling here, ready to get to the Coliseum. So we'll get to Ty, we'll get to the Coliseum, but off-season in general, I, I hope that you had some R&R, some rest, some relaxation, as well as working your butt off in the shop. What did the off-season consist of for you this year? Um, Honestly, did. I, I got to chill. I, I uh, actually, me and Ty took a trip out to Seattle. He's got a house out there, so went out there when the Panthers were in town, conveniently enough, so we could catch a football game, nice, too. But spent nice. some time out there. Um, took a couple trips, spent a lot of time with my kids, just hung out, took a little time off. So it was, it was really nice, good R and R, but, uh, we've been busy. We hit the ground running. Obviously when we got back in January and, and had a lot of, it was a nice thing about having a, our driver deal done earlier in the year, you know, or, you know what I mean? Earlier, as far as like into the off season, being able to get to work on stuff. So we worked on stuff in November and December, took a little time off for Christmas and then hit the ground running in January. And it's been absolutely wide open. So I'm sure last year was pretty wide open as well, being, Year one with the next-gen car, you had a rotating cast of characters in the seat, out of the seat, and literally the seats were getting mixed and matched with all the different drivers. Reflecting on what 2022 was for you guys with the 77 at Spire, a learning year with the next-gen car, a lot of different drivers in the seat. How do you look back on last year as Cup Series crew chief for you? It was good. Uh, like you said, a lot of moving parts, a lot of... Uh... A lot of different things when you got different drivers, but uh, Landon did an outstanding job. Balicki did a really good job. Got to work with Mike Rockefeller at the road courses. So that's always cool and fun to, to get to experience different things and do different things. But, I mean, we're really excited about having the structure of one driver and being able to work around the one guy, his needs. I mean, just just little things like the interior, like you said, not having to change seats in and out and, and different things, different dashes, different shifters, different everything you got to have for uh, for different drivers. So just the simplicity of that is going to be great to have all of our cars the same and and one way exactly how Ty wants it. And then we can get to the part of working on the racetrack and what he likes and what he likes in the race car, what he likes balance wise and being able to hone in on that. Have you ever dealt to up until last year, had you ever dealt with a rotating panel of drivers in the seat every single week, or was that kind of a first for you? Um, it was newer in 2017. I, when my first year with Justin Haley in the truck series, he wasn't old enough to run Daytona um, mm. or Atlanta went on in 17 in his first year. So I had, legacy at, at Daytona and then Alex Bowman in Atlanta. And then we got to Justin and, and I had Justin the rest of the time. So um, it's been a little bit of an adjustment the last two years, having to get used to other drivers and stuff like that. But I mean, it's a good thing. It helps you uh, think outside the box on certain things and helps you look at things from a different perspective, sometimes through a different lens and, and makes it uh, makes it kind of a different concept when you're thinking about how to try to make the car right or better for certain different type of drivers. But that's uh, the last two years have definitely been a, uh, a merry-go-round of drivers for sure making it all work here and and getting good people in this race car I and mean, we go all the way back to the 520 21 with mcmurray i mean we got a list of different drivers that have been in this car but it's been a lot of fun yeah it's interesting you say that it was you know actually a good thing to have all those rotating drivers because on the surface one would think okay well there's a lot of stuff going on here they can't really get any continuity but you're kind of saying the contrary and i guess for you as well being a second your crew chief, it was good to kind of get different perspectives and kind of put those into use for throughout the whole season. It sounds like it is. It's, it, I think it's just a good, you got to take the opportunity to like learn and get better. And then you get different drivers that have different experience levels. I mean, it's, it's you go all the way from Jamie McMurray to, you know, Balicki and Landon this year, you know, McMurray being last year, obviously he's been racing in cup for years and years and years. So anything that he could teach me or, or help me learn or understand, and then work with Landon, who's done a bunch of racing and, Balicki was a little newer, so it was a different dynamic there. And then you had Justin, 
Haley ran a bunch of our races in 2021 and me and him had a great relationship already having two years together in the truck series. So, um, that was, that was pretty easy, but it was kind of fun to get to do it at a couple level. And then he was competing full-time in the Xfinity car too. So that was a dynamic, but I think it has, I know it's been good for me personally to try to um, expand how I look at things and how I prepare for things. And, and you kind of don't just get into that, you know, same mentality of how you do with the same driver all the time. And, and I was with Justin for, for a couple of years. So, you know, we got into a, a, a good rhythm together, but it's nice to get out of that and do different things and learn and try to try to get better and, and learn how to handle different situations and different personalities. So I guess looking back on it, would you say that it was more difficult than you expected about what you thought? Was it easier than you expected reflecting on just the, the rotating cast of drivers that you had in the seat? And on the week. Um, I think that it definitely, <laughs> definitely, I mean, that's probably not a great answer, but I think that, uh, I think you don't, I didn't really know what it would be like, but I think that it was once I kind of got the idea of, of adjusting, learning the different personalities. I and mean, I think that it was, it was more effort to have to try to get to know these guys and get to know what they liked and get to know what kind of made them tick and kind of know their personality mm-hmm. as opposed to just having one guy and you know him real well and you got a good relationship with them. So it was definitely um, harder in that aspect, but I know it definitely made me look at things differently and, and it's going to make me stronger and longer. So Ty Dillon obviously comes in as your driver, your full-time driver for 2023, which is a big change. Did you have any previous relationship with him before the deal got announced? I know you guys have since, you know, gotten pretty close. You went up to Washington, which we'll get to. But when he when that was announced and you first got word that your new driver was going to be Ty Dillon, did you have any previous relationship either on or off the track? Honestly, no. Besides passing each other in the garage and saying hi, just the normal. You see the same same guys every weekend. We didn't really. Um, Ryan Sparks, who's the crew chief on the seven, has a good relationship with Austin and Ty. He was up at RCR for a long time and and worked on Austin's truck and Xfinity car and cup car. So um, he bridged the gap quite a bit. I had gotten to actually know Austin quite a bit better than Ty this year and over the last couple of years just because of Ryan's relationship with Austin. So um, I I had a little bit of relationship there already. And actually, Austin's the one that kind of told me, was the first one to tell me, I can't remember which track we were at, but he stopped me and said something about, you know, the deal getting really close on Ty being done. So um i think that uh, that's helped bridge it you know sparks having such a good relationship with those guys but honestly no we, we didn't know each other very well but i mean it, it's been effortless to to kind of hmm. become friends and get to know each other and and we spend a lot of time together already and we talk a lot and, and it's been it's been fun i mean he, we have a lot of similar you know things that we like and and we have we're similar in age i'm a little bit older than him but um, we've got, we're at the very similar career paths. Um, you know, where we're at right now are points in our career. So, uh, there's a lot of things that we are very similar on. And I think that that's made it easy to get along and not even just racing stuff, but outside of racing, we both really enjoy sports and, and different things. So we've, we've developed a pretty good friendship in a short amount of time. I think it's just going to get stronger and better as we get racing. Knowing you for several years as I have, I kind of know your personality. You, you get along with anybody, you're able to crack jokes and kind of go into a relationship when you may not know somebody that well and boom just like that you kind of are are fast friends obviously vibing with your driver is very important especially when you're going to have one instead of four or five throughout the year so how do you go about that with somebody that you don't really know even though it's good now how did you go about it in the first place it seems like you guys clicked on a lot of things but that's not usually the case for a lot of drivers no it's not and I mean I think it's incredibly important that you try, right? Like, like that was a big thing for me is that like, you know, you just have to, like, we could have just texted and, and, you know, Hey, here's what I think of this racetrack. And here's what I think of this racetrack. And I mean, I'm not saying that doesn't work for some people that doesn't work for me. Like, I just feel like I do a better job of understanding what he'll need in a race car and 
not even just setup wise, but just Sunday when there's a lot of things happening and things are happening fast and you got to make split second decisions or he's in a, you know, we're having one of those good days or bad days and you kind of need to know your guy's personality and what, what he needs and what he needs to hear. I think that if you have a friendship with that guy, like I think it makes it easier and, and that's not always doable. Like some guys just don't mesh. Some guys don't get along and I understand that, but I think that it was very important that I put forth the effort and I tied it right away too, um, to just try to spend some time together and, and try to get to know each other. And I think we both realized really quickly that it was going to be pretty easy. Um, he was, you know, he's just been great, reached out and we've gone to eat dinner together and gone to a Panthers game here before we went to Seattle, just kind of spend time together doing things. And then really when we went to Seattle or, you know, when I went and met him in Seattle and we spent four or five days together and, and his family's out there and spending time with, you know, Haley and his kids and, just kind of getting to know everybody. It was, it was really easy. I mean, it was just, it was simple. So um, like I said, very similar personalities and the friendships just kind of gone from there. And then we, we work really hard on our race stuff. And, and I mean, I can't reiterate enough. We were just ready to get to the racetrack and try to put, uh, put it to, uh, to the pavement, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that trip to Washington state to Seattle a couple of times. I'm curious to learn a little bit more the impetus for that trip whose idea was it? Was it a joint collaboration type of thing? Because again, you know, it's one thing to have a new driver crew chief relationship. It's another thing to actually go out of your way and go to dinner and hang out in person and talk and converse. It's another thing to fly all the way across the country and spend considerable time with them. And you did that with Ty. So why make that trip? And why was that important to you? Well, like it, kind of start like he mentioned it and he was like, Hey, uh, cause he always goes and spends time in Seattle. Um, his wife, Haley, her family lives up there. So they try to go the race season's grueling. They don't get to see each, see him maybe as much as they'd like to. So they try to go up there and spend time. So he already told me they would be in Seattle for about a month and a half. And he was back here after, I think it was after the season. And, and anyways, it kind of became a joke because I think it was the first week after the season, I went to the Atlanta Falcons and Carolina Panthers game and they won. And then he took me to the Denver Carolina game and they won. So it kind of became a running joke that we kind of had a good thing going that if <laughs> we were there, they were going to win. So which is rare this good, year, which, which right. We saw there was some momentum building here and he's yeah. pretty good friends with some people in the organization. So he's like, you got to come to Seattle. There, it was happened to be the week that they were playing in Seattle. So he's like, now nah, that's a pretty much, you know, ice is it. You got to come out. So uh, booked a flight, went out there. And we just had a great time. Uh, he uh, I'm, I was born and raised in Florida, as you know, and so I'm not, a, but I, I, my mom's from up north, taught me how to ski. So I've done snow, but I've never really done like snow, snow, and I've never snowmobiled. And so we went up there, spent a couple of days up at a mountain cabin up there and snowmobiled and just had a great time and got to do some things that I've never done before. And, and, uh, they were patient with me learning how to snowmobile. And I tried to manage my confidence versus my ability. Uh-huh. Um, that was a very <laughs> good balancing act to make sure I didn't go harpooning off the end of a mountain. You needed uh, a crew chief. And, Right, exactly. So it uh, it was a learning experience, but I think they said I picked up on it pretty good, so that's good. And we had a lot of fun, good. and came back down into into the city and and spent some time in Seattle. Went to the game, and and then me and him actually flew back together on a red eye because we had a, a meeting here on whatever the Monday or Tuesday, and so flew back on on Monday night, and and it was just a really fun trip. So it was kind of became a joke as we were talking about going, and I had mentioned I might go and was kind of looking at schedule. And then when we got to go into those Panthers games and they got on a little win streak, we were like, well, now we really know how to, don't have a choice. And then they came to Seattle out of the bye week and won. So we really so they did. Okay. Yeah. Going. So I did not make it to either one of the away games at the end of the year, neither did Ty. So we hold ourselves personally responsible for not making playoffs. It was our fault. <laughs> I, and, uh, and we'll try to be better. We'll try to be better. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you paint it like that, I, I would say it's your guys' fault. Be better. 
hundred percent. Yeah. I even, so, I'll even tell you, I drugged my kids cause I took my son to the Panthers game the year before and this year it fell on Christmas Eve. So I bought tickets. They both wanted to go. So I took my son and my daughter. Well, if anybody remembers, it was the coldest game ever in the history of Panthers football. Of course, I think it was like 10 degrees down the bowl and we made it to halftime. I made them stay till halftime. It was, it was not (laughs) an enjoyable experience. I said, but we got good memories already. And they, I bought, had to buy them about five blankets. So we still got them at the house, but we had a lot. You're talking to somebody that spent four years in Michigan, MSU, Michigan State University sponsored you and Josh at Michigan last year. So I know a thing or two about sitting or standing in very cold weather during football games when your team is not doing too well. So no, you I got it. it. And they were playing great, but there's a different dynamic between myself, a 36 year old guy sitting there uh-huh. and my six year old son who is, and his boy loves football. I remember we got there and he's like, this is freezing. This is freezing. And so I wrapped a blanket around him, picked him up and the game started. And he was like, okay, I kind of want to stay. And then about the end of the first quarter, he's like his chin shaking and cheek teeth. And my daughter was over it. I mean, she was absolutely over it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I figured if I didn't get him out of there about halftime, their mom would not have been happy. <laughs> it makes for a good story though, right? It was, it was a very good story. We actually still laugh, but my mom gets kicked out. It's a good story. For yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was intrigued by something that Ty said, I think right after the announcement happened, I think he said it on Sirius XM, uh, the confidence that he was exuding. I'm curious if he's had similar things to say with you in public or private, but he said that he legitimately feels that he is one of, if not the best driver in the Cup Series right now. Even though the stats won't bear it out, he puts himself up against Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin. He really feels like he has what it takes, even though the stats have not shown that throughout his Cup Series career. Do you get that sense from him as well? He does not lack confidence one bit. That's a good thing. Um, We've talked about that a lot. And, you know, something that I think is big is understanding, you know, how hard Sunday is, right? If you are racing in the cup series on Sundays and competing at any type of high level, you have an enormous amount of talent, right? It's just, that's just the way it is. And some guys have had more success and things like that. You're right. The stat sheet will stay what they say, but the talent's there. He's proven that he's proven that he can run up front. He's gone head to head with the best. When he won that Xfinity race at Indy um, a few years ago, he went head to head with Kyle Busch on two late restarts. I mean, he's beaten the best head to head. And if he didn't have that confidence, that'd be a bad thing, right? I want him to have that confidence. Um, that's a good thing. I'd rather have to pull the reins back than, than kick him, so to speak. Everybody hears that terminology, and that's a good thing. So now we're in a position where he's got a lot of experience. He's a veteran. And getting to plug him into this program, what we have here at Spire Motorsports, and where we're at in our building process, we're in year three of what is hopefully a 20-year plan for our owners, right? And we've been building and growing. Everybody's seen that. I hope everybody's seen that we're getting better. And we're growing and our cars are getting better and our competition is getting better. Corey almost won at Atlanta last year. You know, that's a huge check. The 77 finished fourth at Daytona in the, in the fall race. So, you know, we are, I think I said at some point during an interview or something, we are two good pushes away from two win banners hanging in the shop, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a big accomplishment for us and what we've done here. Well, we're ready to take the next step. And, and the next step is having somebody like Ty Dillon in the 77 full time to complement what Corey and Sparks do on that seven. And we're going to push each other to be better. And we're going to push each other to try to race as hard as we can. We understand what realistic expectations are, and we're going to go try to achieve them. And to have somebody as confident as Ty and have the ability that he has makes my life so much easier because now it's our job as a race team to bring ourselves up to that level, right? Like we've been, you know, if you want to say we were held back by whatever it was as we're building and growing here, you know, those those excuses, so to speak, aren't there anymore. 
we need to bring bring ourselves up. I need to bring myself up, make sure the team's ready to step up to Ty's level. And I know we're ready to do that. And and it's good to have a driver that that has that confidence that knows that he can get the job done. And uh, to have that swagger and that confidence, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for that. It's worth speed, in my opinion. So there's a lot to be said for Spire Motorsports as well. The growth that you guys have shown in the last handful of seasons. Big picture, you're you're a new team in its infancy. But when you look a little bit deeper, you guys have been around for a long, long time, just in different forms, not just as a two-car Cup Series organization. What, what do Jeff and TJ over at Spire, what do they think of the trajectory that you guys as a race team specifically are on right now and where you guys have been the last year or two when it comes to average finish or points positioning or raw speed that you have at the racetrack? Are they pleased with the overall performance and progress that you guys are making? They are. And and I kind of, I tell people all the time, we're very fortunate um, as myself, as a crew chief, that our owners don't stand over us and go, what are you doing? Like, we expect you to go win five races next year. They've never said that to us at the beginning, but they want to win. They want to go win as many races as they can, but they don't stand over us and, and hold that expectation over us, knowing that we're still building and growing. Right. So at some point that'll, cross paths where we get to a point where we have everything we need. And then the expectation becomes that, but they are very clear with us of realistic expectations of what they want us to achieve. The place where we could get ourselves in trouble is if we fall short of that. Right. And we don't do the job that they expect us to do. So we're held accountable for what they expect us to do and want us to do. Like you said, they've both been doing this for a long, 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 long time. And they have a lot of experience and what it takes to be successful in there. And they know how hard it is. And so, you know, as every year, that they give you more stuff and you get more stuff, that expectation becomes higher and higher and higher. And so for me, you know, now it's year three, but it's now we've got a full-time driver. They went and got Ty Dillon. We've got everything we need. We have a relationship with Hendrick Motorsports. We have Hendrick engines under the hood. Everybody's got the same race car. So it's now that expectation becomes to where it's getting to a higher point. So to answer your question, I mean, I think it's what they, how they manage this team is, is very fair and very, very fun to work at, right? They, they have realistic expectations, but they want to keep getting better each year and keep growing. And we're doing that. And I think if you look at 2021, the first year they were really on their own and by themselves in their own building, doing everything themselves. You look at how we ran, what we did. And then now you look at last year, Corey almost went in a race, some, some good finishes, running good, consistently running better, being, being in that top half of the field. That is a big check mark that you know shows that we're growing and, and they're encouraged by that and happy with that performance. So now we've set bench, set benchmarks for ourselves and what we expect to do as an organization, and it's our job to go achieve it because now they've given us so many tools, we have to go do the job that they expect, and, and it's fun to work for people like that. A few more here for you. I know you got a meeting in a few minutes, so I'll let you run. But okay. you mentioned that you were uh, you were born and bred in Florida, Daytona boy. So I know yep, the five many of has. Us. Yes, uh, the 500 has very special meaning to you. Um, I don't think I know the answer to this because I've never asked you, but what what got you interested in racing besides just living in Daytona and having the Speedway right in your backyard? Was there anything specific that got you hooked? It wasn't anything specific. I just always loved it. I, I, I don't know. It's I just loved racing. I had a thousand die-cast cars, and I'd have a when I was a kid, I'd have an area cleared off in mom's living room where I'd run a race, and and that was, mm-hmm. is all I ever loved and, and really liked doing, you know, was th- wanting to work in racing. It's all I ever wanted to do. And then, you know, my parents knew that I liked that. And so me and my dad would spend a lot of time at the racetrack. My mom would go to the racetrack with me too a lot. We'd go to Rolex 24 hour and 
anytime there were cars on track during speed weeks, we'd be over there. And so, um, it's just, it's just all that I wanted to do. And, and then we always had access, which my dad worked at, he was a car salesman in Daytona and he worked for Lloyd Buick Cadillac in, on beach street, in Daytona. Well, Lloyd, the guy that owned Lloyd Buick Cadillac was Lake Lloyd in Daytona. The, okay. the lake in the backstretch, he was involved with Bill France at the beginning, um, helping get the track built. So there was a connection there. So my dad would be able to get passes and there was people that worked over at the racetrack. So we'd always get in. And, and so I think that that helped give me a you know peek behind the curtain, so to speak, and be able to be in the garage and watch them. I remember just like being younger, standing outside the garage in Daytona and watching the bush cars going out for practice and, and all of them working in there. So, and, and it's just, I just fell in love with it. So when I graduated high school down there, all I wanted to do was work in racing. So I moved up to Mooresville, North Carolina and, and started trying to make it work. <laughs> I feel like it's rare that we hear from and see anybody working in the sport nowadays that's first generation, but it seems like you kind of fit that mold perfectly. Even though you were in it and your family had some ties, they didn't necessarily work in motorsports or in NASCAR. You're the first generation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't really think about it like that. But yeah, no, I am I am the first generation to, to work in racing in our family. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's, it's a lot of fun. So I know you had some stops along the way before Spire, just to name a few, maybe all of them. You tell me if I'm wrong, but Venerini, Wood Brothers, H. Scott, GMS, Thor Sport, Bill McAnally, Spire. I know I'm probably missing a handful in no, there. No, I think you got them. You got them pretty much. All of them. Uh, yeah, that, that pretty much covered it. I started, when I moved up here, I, I interned for Venerini. That's where I got my start. Billy and Big Bill let me uh, intern for them. And then they took me on full time after interning for about a year. Um, I worked there until I worked my way up and then I worked for Wood Brothers, JTG, which was a combination at the time, um, worked there. And then I spent a lot of time at, at Braun turned into H Scott. Um, when yeah. Zippy, Scott Zippadelli left JTG to go to Braun, to crew chief 38 car, he took me and, and somebody else with him to go be on the road crew with him over there. And I went over there and then Braun turned into H Scott. And, and, and so I was at, at there for a while. And that's actually when I got my first crew chief opportunity was, H. Scott branched out into the K&N program and uh, they sent me over there and I got to kind of get my feet wet and crew chief in there. And my first year crew chief was with William Byron. So kind of struck gold on that one. I got pretty lucky, <laughs> not, not too bad of a, a first driver. And, yep. and then I had worked with Ben Rhodes the year before. So like you said, Thorsport, the year after I crew chief William, we were fortunate enough to win some races and win that K&N championship. And, uh, and Ben asked that I come up and crew chief him in the truck at Thorsport. And we did that, had some success ran good. And then I got teamed up with Justin at GMS and spent quite a bit of time with him. And, and I've kind of just tried to work my way up the ladder. Yeah. Justin obviously is your teammate or was your teammate uh, for a while. He's at Colleg now doing big things in the cup series. And I know still whenever you guys cross paths in the garage, you give each other a little ribbon here and there. Cause that's your boy going back. And I, I'm sure William's the same way, but I know you and Justin enjoyed a lot of success together, winning a lot of races and K and N trucks and working up the ranks. So it's cool to see that even William too, you guys are now all on the cup level doing the thing. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I obviously had a lot of years with Justin and had a good time. He's doing a really good job. I'm proud of him. Um, I plan on beating him hopefully at least 38 times this year, but other than that, it's, of course. Uh, it, it, uh, I'm, I am very proud of him. He does a really good job. Um, William obviously is just doing fantastic and, and, uh, well on his way to having an incredible career in the cup series. So he, uh, he does a great job and it is, it's really fun. I mean, had a relationship with all these guys, still, still friendship. I could feel like I could, you know, me and Justin talk quite a bit still. And, and I talked to William a decent amount still. So we have a pretty good relationship. Not really, I don't think, can't think of any time we go by each other in the garage. We don't all stop and talk if it pops up. So it is, it's cool to have that relationship. And like you said, to have gotten to this point 
and all of us be racing on Sundays a lot of fun. So a few days before LA, as of this taping, what are the final preparations like? You got about a few days before you head out there. I'm sure that the hauler, if not already, is on the way. It's going to be soon. Uh, final prep underway for LA. Take me through it. Yep. We're really close. So we got to a really good spot last week. Um, our cars are, we're doing a couple more updates, uh, that we got from NASCAR this weekend. We're knocking those out this, uh, this morning and into this afternoon. And then we're, we're pretty close to going down and final scaling here. The haulers will leave tomorrow night. It's Monday. Now they'll be on the road Tuesday night. So, um, we'll get them. We're checking our box actually right before I walked in here, Ty had just sat in the car and kind of signed off on everything. So all his stuff's final fit and he's good on that. So we'll, uh, we'll get it down on the ground and roll through the Hawkeye again and get all those numbers final set and then do our final scale tomorrow morning and then just fluff and buff a little bit. But uh, we're really close, and we'll get those things loaded up, get the door shut, and then Wednesday we'll keep uh, plugging on our 500 cars and getting them knocked out. Inventory-wise, if you have a little bit too much fluff and buff to do after the clash because we have a feeling that things may get rough and tumble. It could, it could um, get physical, yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, where are you guys at inventory-wise compared to last year when – supply chain was kind of wreaking havoc on everything with next gen we're definitely better than last year stuff still is a little bit as the updates are getting done it's, it's about the center section of rear clip update at this point um we don't have everything back in the building updated uh, but we're in an okay spot we kind of look through the west coast swing uh we want to be in a good spot obviously through phoenix because there's a lot of demand on going to la coming back to daytona going to the west coast swing three in a row out there anything can happen at la like you said Anything can happen at Daytona. Not a lot of times mm -hmm. every car comes back from there. So you want to be prepared, unfortunately, <laughs> for the worst. Um, so we tr we think we have a really good plan. Um, NASCAR's been working close with the suppliers to try to keep everything up to speed and caught up. And um, I think we're okay. We're way better than we were last year. Me and Sparks joked about that. Like, we looked at how we were last year. And we're like, how did we even make it to the racetrack? Like, how, how did we even get there and put on a show? But we right. did, and it all worked out. We are in way better spots than we were last year. So realistic expectations for the year. I know that that may be a subjective question and it may change throughout the year as well. When you see how you guys run, when you see how Corey runs or however the competition kind of sorts itself out. What do you think preseason are realistic expectations for you, Ty, in the 77 camp? Well, I, I, it's hard to put a number on. I think I'm, we're going to break the season apart, right? And kind of that's how we've talked about. I think it's very important that through the West Coast swing, we go and execute, eliminate mistakes pit road speeding penalties, wheels falling off, crashes we don't need to be caught up in, things like that. If you can get a good base laid down in the season, get a good points accumulation over the first few races, it just puts you in so much of a better spot um, as opposed to being stuck in a hole that you have to dig out of. Uh, so it, the first five, six races is a big talking point for us right now, being prepared for that um, and trying to accomplish, being seeing the, every checkered flag, getting some points accumulated, put some points in the bank, so to speak. Um, so that's kind of our short goal, what we're looking at, um, and then just – we don't want to over, over predict or over hope, whatever the word is, or set the bar too high. But I firmly believe, I mean, obviously we take and circle those plate races. We've been, we've been good at them. Um, not everybody's good at them. Uh, our cars seem to drive. Okay. There Corey's been a consistent upfront runner in those mm -hmm. plate races last few years or last couple of years. So I think that we actually circle those. And I believe 100%, not only can the 77 and tie win a race this year, but I believe Corey in that seven car too. I think there's a real chance you could see two win banners in the shop next year. So that's our goal. That's our expectations. That's what we would like to accomplish. Um, we're not going to call it a failure if we don't. We want to go and compete at a good level, be in the mix on Sundays at every kind of racetrack and, and making this program better and stronger every day. That's our primary goal. But I do believe that we can win a race and I'm not at all bashful about saying it. I know we can. So what, you got a top secret meeting going on in a couple minutes? Is that what I'm letting you go for? 
No, you're letting me go. So NASCAR can tell me exactly about what things, how things are going to go at the Coliseum. So I don't oh, want to miss okay. that because that when they call a meeting to tell us how things are going to go, that usually means there's some things we don't know are coming. <laughs> yes. I think that's a little bit more important that you go to and I will uh, stay and edit this. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for the time, my friend. I appreciate it. Good to see your face. I know it's racing season. I will not be in LA, but I'll see you in Daytona and be sure to give Ryan Sparks some ribbon for me because you know he gets his hair cut every single week like a maniac. Gotta, gotta stay sharp, high and tight. You know how he is. <laughs> you know how he says he doesn't get fresh, he stays fresh. That's right. <laughs> All Thanks, right, man. Kevin. I appreciate it. We'll see you in Daytona. Yes, sir. And we are back. Thank you so much to Kevin for carving out some time. It's race week for him, so it's busy, busy, busy times over at Spire Motorsports in North Carolina. Thanks to him for carving out some time in his schedule. And, of course, thank you to Leanne, the wonderful PR maestro extraordinaire over at Spire Motorsports for helping coordinate that conversation as well. Like I said, guys, it is race week. Rejoice, celebrate, hallelujah. The offseason is no more, and the clash is here. Now, everybody last year at this time was saying, I have no idea what to expect. We've never raced the next-gen car. We've never raced with numbers forward on the door. We've never raced with the single lug wheel. We've never raced in a stadium. We've never raced in a Coliseum. I don't know what's happening. And I'd be lying if I said that I felt the same way this year going into this race this weekend. Now, we do have a bit of knowledge when it comes to the car, when it comes to the racetrack, but there still are a lot of unknowns. What we do know is that the field was expanded a little bit, 27 cars, going to start the main event all 36 chartered cars are required to go out and compete in the event now saturday you have some track time with practice sunday you're going to have some heat races that will set the field and the lineup fully for the main event all the action is going to be on fox on sunday that is a big deal for obvious reasons nascar kicking off the season informally with an exhibition race at the clash on big network television that cannot be understated. I mean, that's a five, six, maybe even seven hour television window when you factor in the heat races starting around five o'clock Eastern time. Uh, and then the green flag for the race gonna be happening around eight o'clock Eastern, maybe a little bit after 8.15. Even though that's 5 p.m. on the West Coast, that's still a big deal because that's prime time viewing for the East Coast audience. So with no football on, the championship games on this weekend, it just ended week before the Super Bowl. People are going to be starved for some content, for some sports, some live sports. And where else and when else are you going to get NASCAR stock cars ripping and roaring inside a stadium? I'll tell you, nowhere. This is where you get it, people. And I know if you're listening to this show, odds are you're probably a NASCAR fan, I would hope. And if you're not, welcome. Glad to have you. But I'm just so ready for the season to start. I mean, we have talked incessantly 24-7, 365 on your home for NASCAR, Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90, about what happened last season and what could happen this season, what we're looking for, storylines we're following. Now, instead of talking about it, we get to be about it. And I'm just so excited that we actually are gonna have cars on track and we're gonna have stuff to preview, stuff to recap, and I'm excited to get everything underway. I hope you are too, and I hope to talk with you about it next week right here in Victory Lane. So that'll wrap things up for the show this week, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can find this show wherever you get your podcast, same as last year, Apple, 
Google, SoundCloud, all major podcast platforms is where this show is available for you. And if we're not available wherever you get your pods, for some reason, just drop me a line. You know where to find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, text me, email me. I don't know. I will try to rectify that issue for you being a one-man band over here, but I pride myself on a quick response time. So please hit me up. Got some good interviews in the can as well for next week and the weeks following. Excited for you guys to hear some of those conversations and excited to get the season rolling. Hell yeah, party people. We are back and I am so happy and grateful for it. Thank you guys for listening to Victory Lane this week. We will catch you back here next time. Don't forget, it's the place that everybody wants to be. So come and join us next week.